We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says. Promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast, on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. This is always my favorite day of the week when we get to watch an old 49er game and talk about it on this podcast for you. It's the old rush. He's Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at the Niners Wire, part of the USA Today sports media group. Today, we're talking about Week 10, 2011, the 6-2 New York football giants at the 7-1 San Francisco 49ers. Chris, I I think that of the, what have we watched, four games so far? I think this was by a wide margin the, the, best, of, the best of the games. Yeah, so I think kind of a theme going through the, the 2011 season, and you could sort of say the same thing about the 49ers this last year, 2019, no one was really sure how good the 49ers were, but as the season wore on, it became apparent like, oh, this is like a real contender. 
and this game and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman just being on the broadcast at that point, you know, Fox's number one team signaled that. And right. when you're watching it, you're like, all right, the Niners defense is one of, if not the best defense in the league. Eli Manning, a, go- a good quarterback who had already won a Super Bowl, made some incredible throws. You're just watching that game and realizing, like, these are two really good teams. And it's been a long time since the 49ers felt like they played in a regular season game of that magnitude. And and yeah. it was just odd thinking back on it. Like, the 49ers, this is 2011, they hadn't gone to the playoffs since 2002, and you have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman talking about the ramifications of this. The 49ers had a big lead in the NFC West, and those guys are talking about what this could mean for home field advantage and all of that stuff in the playoffs. And, of course, what's interesting about that is these two teams would meet in the NFC title game. The Giants would win and ultimately go on to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But point being, this was, this was I think, the first real big, like, po- like postseason caliber opponent test the 49ers had. I know we did the Lions game uh, last week and the Lions went 10 and 6, but this Giants team was, you know, they were not 9 and 7. They were a 9 and 7 Super Bowl winner, um, probably better than their record and, and particularly their defensive numbers would indicate. But yeah. uh, th- this felt like a really well played game between two really good teams. And, and leading up to that, that was a rarity. Uh, for the 49ers because it had been so long since they were good. Yeah, so the Niners had won six straight games. The Giants were coming off a big win over the Patriots at Foxborough the previous week, and it became apparent late in the third quarter-ish. Like, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but when, when you're watching it, it's like, oh, of course these teams went to the Super Bowl or, or went to the NFC Championship. Their defenses are both super fast. Their pass rushes are both relentless. Alex Smith looks as good as he's looked really all year in this game. Uh, Eli Manning's throwing it all over the yard. The Giants have a bunch of good receivers. They have Victor Cruz kind of at the peak of his powers. They had Mario Manningham in his prime. They had Hakeem Nix, who was who was a real factor there for a couple of years. They had Jake Ballard, who was a developing star. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna make the joke. <laughs> we got, we get, we'll, we'll talk about why that's funny a little bit later. But that there were so many good players. Like we know, we know the Niners had had all these good players on defense, but but the Giants had a bunch of really good players on defense and and some stars on offense as well. So uh, this was a huge test for the Niners, and they played really well. There there were no points in the game where. Like the the first few of these we've done, it's been like a slog. Like there's yeah. just these lulls of quarters or a quarter and a half where just nothing happens because the Niners are so stout on defense, but their offense is just moving in molasses. But this game was a lot different. You you the the Niners' game plan was very clearly to let Alex Smith let it rip, and he threw it 31 times. I, I think it was 31, 30 times. Uh, completed 19 of them. He was throwing down the field more often than than we've seen all year, and the Giants were were hell bent on not letting the Niners run the football just because that's what the Niners had been so good at all year, and they were successful in that. And the Niners still found a way to put up 27 points, which I thought was pretty impressive considering what we'd seen from them to this point. Yeah, Frank Gore six six carries zero yards. 
and he was banged up. He came in with an ankle injury. They announced that he had a knee injury midway through the game. Um, Kendall Hunter got uh, the bulk of the carries, had a touchdown in the game. Um, it was it was interesting to see because there were, of course, a lot of questions about Alex Smith. And then the 49ers came out running. Or, sorry, came out passing a lot. And, uh, and I think it definitely took the Giants a little bit by surprise, but they didn't really stray from their game plan. I think you know, the majority of the game, they had nine, 10 guys in the box. Um, and they were just daring Alex Smith to, to win with his arm. And, you know, it wasn't an incredible day for Smith from a number standpoint, but like, you know, completing 19 of 30, 242 yards, a touchdown, the interception wasn't his fault that just banged right off Ted Ginn's hands. Um, but it, it was, a, it was like, you know, talking about how the 49ers, how, how good are they? It was a game where, all right, they 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 won in part because of their quarterback play, because the Giants were so bent on taking away the run, and the 49ers managed um, to only have 77 yards on the ground, which is like half of what they normally had, and they averaged 3.9 yards per carry, so they weren't really able to run the ball, and they were still able to score 27 points, like you said, with Alex Smith being pretty efficient and, and being pretty good overall. So one of the right, let's just let's just kind of roll through this roll through this game here. One of the first things that stood out was the Niners and Giants first two drives took a total of 14 minutes and 35 seconds and they traded field goals. Um <laughs> was it was pretty remarkable. Uh David Akers kicked a 36-yard field goal to tie the game at 3 with 25 seconds left. With 4:42 to go in the first quarter, we had we had a couple of very peak Vernon Davis plays in this game, and we'll talk about the second one a little bit later. But the first one was Davis had a pass get knocked down, where he had the safety sealed off, but he let the ball travel so far into his body that the safety right. was able to get his hand around and knock it out. And that was just like the issue with Vernon Davis was he. I don't think I ever went. I don't think he ever caught a ball with his arms outstretched. He let everything he also, get into his body. He also had a third down in the first half where he loved to jump as he caught the ball and leave his feet, which uh-huh. is you know not an ideal thing to do if you don't have no. to. And he wound up leaving his feet in the flat and just got leveled uh, while he was still in the air on a third down from uh, by a defensive back. Oh. And like I had forgotten this. Like Vernon Davis just wasn't a dude who break many tackles. I like, you like, you asked like, me if he you asked me while you were watching if Vernon ever broke a tackle and I think the answer is no. <laughs> like there were Delaney Walker had a nasty stiff arm of a linebacker later in the game and then it was like oh yeah that that's sort of the difference between Walker and and Vernon and it's not that like Vernon was obviously a a, a good to to great tight end throughout much of his 49ers tenure, particularly, I think, a little bit later on. Um, but he was very much like a finesse pass catcher and pretty finesse yeah. after the catch. Um, and it's just funny to, you know, to watch Vernon Davis play in contrast to George Kittle. Like, they, they're both very productive tight ends, yeah. but they couldn't be any more different stylistically. It's one of those, it, it, there was, I think at the, maybe early in the offseason, I was ranking like all-time 49ers for for something I was doing for Niners Wire and I had asked you who was who had you know who ranks higher Kittle or Davis 
And I think I ended up saying Davis just because he had a longer career. The the numbers were better because of the the number of years he spent in San Francisco. But now watching these games back, it's really clear who the better player is for, for me anyway. I Vernon yeah. is Vernon is an athletic freak for sure, but the the yards he left on the field are right. are alarming, and that's just right. that's shown in in every game we've watched. Right. Yeah. So it was. I mean, Vernon was, you know, three catches, 40 yards. I, I don't think he really started peaking in his career until uh, maybe 2012, 2013. Yeah. Um, this was the first this this game. Was, the 2010-2011 seasons were where it became clear that there there was a player there, like a, like a right. best tight end in the league caliber player, for sure. Right. Um, so the first half went uh, five field goals. Yeah. And five field goals, they went to the halftime. Uh, the Niners were winning nine to six. And then the Niners opened the third quarter with another field goal um, to make it 12 to six. <laughs> and then the Giants there- scored, took the lead. Um, Niners scored back to back touchdowns. And then uh, the Giants scored a touchdown, got the ball back. And of course, the game ended by Justin Smith's um, pass breakup on fourth down in the red zone. Uh, inside of a minute left and it's the second time really during uh during the season at this point that smith had made sort of a game ceiling defensive play um the other one obviously was the eagles game which we did uh a few weeks ago yeah and i want to i want to talk about that a little later because he made a play on third down too where the the giants tried to run it on third and short and smith blew the play up to bring up the fourth and two where he had the batted down pass so it's it's incredible watching Justin Smith and just how active and effective he is on like every snap. Uh, he's just, he's constantly yeah, and in the backfield. Yeah, and 2011 was really the first time you're like, oh, Justin Smith really, really yeah. is a good player. Yeah, like it. He he had been good previously in 2009 and 2010. Like he obviously looked like somebody who belonged on the field, but it was just it went to a completely different level in 2011. And that was another sort of uh, example of that. And, and I think those two plays was it was 2011, right? He was a defensive player of the year candidate. Yeah, it was feels he like, like he was in, in voting. Feels like he was in 11 and 12, too. Just that yeah. kind of whole stretch. Um, it just became more clear how how impactful he was. We did the Lions game last week and the Niners had more pressures than Matt Stafford had completions. Yeah. Um I haven't looked at the pressure numbers but this felt completely different. The the Giants offensive line actually did a pretty good job against the, the 49ers pass rush. The only sack the Niners had in this game was a Patrick Willis blitz when him and Navarro Bowman both came on a third down. Uh yeah. the running back took Bowman and and Willis just, just had an easy an easy lane to Manning. A lot um, of a lot of blitzing. Other than that, the like the Giants offensive Yeah, because they the it was a rare instance where the 49ers can generate much much pressure with four guys yeah and i wanted to i wanted to talk about that real quick on the giants first drive manning was just getting the ball out super quick they were just clearing out the middle they were getting rid of bowman and willis getting them out of the middle and just feasting in that area of the field and they never let the niners pass rush be effective and they kind of yeah it was a quiet game from alden smith alden smith didn't really do anything until uh i i think he had a third down pressure on the final drive yeah yeah 
Um, a lot of base defense too. I think that was something that was pretty deliberate deliberate by the Giants was being in base packages to keep Alden Smith off the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Smith at that point was still sort of a, a sub sub package player only. So it was a lot of Paris Harrelson in this game still. Um and so that was certainly noticeable. It was it was an, an interesting chess match between uh b- between the two coaches in this one. So I mentioned the first two possessions took 14 minutes and 35 seconds. Eli Manning got off to the best start of his career, 8 for 8. He ended up going 10 for 10. And like I said, it was a lot of just easy completions over the middle. The five field goals, the end of the first half got weird. The Niners kick a field goal with five minutes left to make it 6-6. Then they go onside kick. Surprise onside kick. Delaney Walker recovers. Beautiful kick by David Akers. Um, the Niners go down, they get a big third down conversion to Delaney Walker. Another acres field goal makes it nine to six. The Giants ensuing drive, Carlos Rogers comes up with an interception and then does the Victor Cruz salsa dance, which was a little bit funny because Cruz beat him pretty bad a couple times. Uh, um, well, so the play before that, the Giants are in the same play twice, like twice in a row. Yes, correct. The play yeah. before that, Cruz was wide open along the sideline and started turning his head thinking about running after the catch before he caught it and just dropped it. And it could have been like a 30 or 40 yard gain. Yeah. Uh, they ran the same exact play. Manning under underthrows it a touch and Rogers picks it off. Yeah, it was um, the the. The Niners had a chance there, I think, to like really put this game away. Uh, and then they're going down to probably kick another field goal. And Alex Smith throws a pass to Ted Ginn. Hits Ted goes through Ginn's hands, off his face, mask into the air. Corey Webster for the Giants picks it off. And that, that effectively ended the half. The Niners go up 9-6 to six, uh, going into halftime. Um the Niners' first drive of the second half was a little bit funny because they get down into the red zone. On first and goal, they go to Braylon Edwards and then did that two more times and then kicked a field goal to go up 12-6. <laughs> Braylon Edwards could not move. It was it, like, like at all. It, I, I think that was just kind of Braylon Edwards, but then they had mentioned at the top of the broadcast that he was dealing with a knee injury. And Yeah, well, it, he didn't play in that Lions game we watched, right? Right, yeah. And it was so clear that he just had nothing. Yeah, it was it was an age and injury thing. So uh, the first punt came in the game with five minutes to go in the third quarter. And the, the, the kick took a weird bounce, nearly hit Ginn, and then nearly hit C.J. Spillman. And the Giants actually reviewed it. And it was just like, again, watching with hindsight and wondered what ended up happening in the NFC title game with the Niners punt return game. It just was like uh, such a foreshadowing of what was to come. And even on the Giants first right. drive, they fumbled and they took the fumble away because they had ruled that his forward progress was stopped, which also happened in the NFC title game. So two kind of weird foreshadowing things there um, happening with with uh, with the Niners struggling with punt returns. And then the, the fumble as well. Another thing I had noted here was the near interception by Sean Goldson with 6.07 left in the third. Right. Uh, Goldson nearly made a really sweet pick. And it just, 
I always remember Goldson for being a, a guy who flew around and, and leveled people, and, and he does that still. But I forgot how good he was at kind of ball hawking. Yeah. And he he nearly made a really nice catch on the sideline. Yeah, he just couldn't get one of his feet down. He made the grab. Um, but, yeah, he, he just couldn't haul it in. One thing that, looking at the, the box score now, that it, it was interesting about this game, like, I thought the Giants actually played pretty well, and you can make the case that they even outplayed the 49ers, with the exception of maybe a, a few plays and a sequence in the fourth quarter that I think you're about to get to. But third down, the Giants converted 50%, 7 of 14. Niners were 3 of 11, which is bad. Uh, fourth down, Giants converted 2 of 3, all on the last drive of the game. Um, both teams combined went two for seven in the red zone, Oof. which is interesting. And, and the, the 49ers, uh, they had a couple long touchdowns. Um, but it was just, you know, it, it was interesting because you could see why the Giants would come out of that game being like, man, we, we probably should have won. Yeah. Um, if not for a couple mistakes and, and a couple big plays that, that really swung it. The Giants at 225 left in the third quarter go up 13 to 12. The throw from Eli Manning to Mario Manningham was dynamite. Which was one? a really a good throw. The the one, the touchdown that made it 13 to 12, oh, where yeah. Terrell Brown had really good coverage on Mario Manningham, and Manning from the far hash just I mean it was it was a dime. It wasn't it wasn't quite as good as the one from the Super Bowl that year down the sideline, but it was right up there. Like for for all of Eli Manning's faults as a player, he was capable of some really good throws. And that one to make it 13-12, if you didn't watch the game back and you go watch highlights, really pay attention to that throw because that was a beauty. Yeah, and he had a throw to Victor Cruz just before the Goldson interception. That was almost like I think it was the exact same throw he made to Manningham in the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, there were like there were probably five throws from Manning that were just complete dimes. Yeah, um, and it, I it, thought, I thought yeah. like he he played a really good game with the exception of uh, obviously the two interceptions. I think the second one wasn't really his fault, although I don't even know if um, I forget who the target was. I think it was Victor Cruz. I don't even know if Cruz would have been open there, but. Or no, it was Manningham. Manningham stopped running the route over the middle. Um, Manning threw it anyway, or Manning threw it was in the motion of throwing it before before uh, Cruz stopped. Or sorry, the receiver stopped, and then um, and then Rogers was there for a second pick. So the Giants go up thirteen twelve. The Niners answer back with one of the funniest touchdowns I've seen in my life. And it just speaks perfectly to all the stuff we just said about Vernon Davis. So the Giants blow coverage and Vernon Davis being uh, the remarkable athlete that he is makes a catch over the middle and has a free run to the end zone. And a Giants defensive back meets him at like the three. And Vernon Davis, six foot three, 250 pound Vernon Davis Instead of lowering his shoulder and just plowing through the defensive back and going into the end zone, he jumps, but not like dives. He jumps like straight up and down. I watched it back several times. I don't think he gained a full yard 
with his jump. But the defensive back just kind of caught him, and they together fell into the end zone because Davis had enough forward momentum that that he fell the, the six to nine feet that he needed. But it was... <laughs> I Is there... Is there a more perfect way for Vernon Davis to score a touchdown? There's not. I mean, he's the least physical physical specimen in the history of the NFL, and he goes dirty <laughs> dancing to get into the end zone here. It was like it was like a running back trying to leap over like the the pile at the goal line, but there was no pile there. Like Vernon saw a, a DB coming from the far side of the field. Vernon had all sorts of momentum. It was a, uh, what, a 30-yard touchdown? And, like, he just yeah, jumped 31. straight into the air. Yeah, 31. He just jumped straight into the air. Instead, like, he could have just kept running, and he would have taken a hit, but, like, there's no way a DB is is going to, like, hit you in a way that hurts in that situation. If you're a 250-pound tight end with a full head of steam. Right. But... He just decides to jump straight up, and your dirty dancing reference is killing me right now. It's it goes, because it's like, true. I'm t- I'm if again you, wa- after you watch the Manning throw to Manningham, watch this touchdown by Vernon Davis. It's it's perfect. It's so good, uh, and it, it put the Niners up uh, twenty to thirteen thanks to the two point conversion. Really cool play design here. Michael Crabtree lines up in the backfield with Kendall Hunter. They were like a split backfield and they motion Crabtree out to the right and then Smith takes a snap and bootlegs right and Crabtree just kind of keeps running and all the defenders get lost in the wash and Crabtree's wide open on the sideline for for an easy two-point conversion to put the Niners up 20 to 13 kind of makes me wonder where that play was the next year in the Super Bowl I I think they ran that play a few different times near the goal line or two-point conversions that year yeah, because I remember it. I, I remember I was like, "Oh, this is the Crabtree play in the flat coming." Yeah, um, I think they stuck with that one. Yeah, is I mean, is a really good play design, and it's almost impossible for Crabtree to stay covered with the defensive back going in motion with him, and then that defensive back trying to get through the mess that the Niners created uh, with the timing yeah. of the snap. So, really good design there from from Greg Roman to put the Niners up twenty to thirteen. Uh, Niners defense gets a turnover on the following Giants series. That was the one where Manning's rolling left, and at first when the interception happens, you're wondering what Manning's looking at. But then on the replay, Mario Manningham just kind of stopped running, and you mentioned that earlier. It's so bizarre. Yeah, he just stopped, and Carlos Rogers was was right there. Um, So I want you – so the Niners go down, first play from scrimmage, they get a 17-yard touchdown from Kendall Hunter. Get a really nice block by Bruce Miller. But tell me what you saw in that play that kind of made it so remarkable that the Niners ran it in from 17 yards out. So on the replay, they show um, you know the, the flying camera view just behind Alex Smith in the line of scrimmage. The Giants have 10 guys in the box, but only three of them are to the left of Jonathan Goodwin if you're facing, you know, from the offensive side. So the play was a counter to the left, to the weak side. And all the 49ers had to do was block those three guys while the other guys were on the other side of the field. And once they did that, like you mentioned, Bruce Miller, um, Snyder had a good block pulling from right guard. 
and it was just off to the races and it looked like a, it was one of the easiest touchdowns the 49ers had like all season because they blocked it up so well and it was um it was interesting because i mean it just showed like the giants were so bent on taking the runaway and they did a really good job for the most part but it was just that that one play that sort of leaked out which is what i was talking about earlier like this was such an even game that really it just came down to a couple plays. The Vernon play, which was just a, a blown coverage. Um, everybody was in man, but somebody thought they were playing zone and then Vernon ran free. And then this one was probably a, a coaching mistake because the way the alignment was, it was impossible to defend a run to the left when you have seven of your ten guys in the box on the right. Um, so it was a pretty easy, a pretty easy run for Kendall Hunter. And, and you forget, like there was a lot of optimism surrounding Kendall Hunter, his rookie season yeah, man. before he tore his ACL. Um, I forget which year it was, uh, probably 2014, I think before the 2014 season, but, um, Kendall Hunter probably missed out on having a pretty good career because of that ACL injury. Yeah, I think that's right. He had a, he just, it feels like once or twice a game, he just kind of pops and yeah. uh, he did it there on the 17-yard touchdown. The Niners in this game had 77 rushing yards. It was their second lowest output of the season. Uh, check that. Tied for their third lowest output of the season. Uh, but the game before this one, they had 138 rushing yards, 77 in this one, and then the next week they had 164 against Arizona. So the Giants did a really nice job. Um, the Giants made it 27-20 with 8.37 to go in the game, a 32-yard touchdown. Another great throw from Eli Manning to Hakeem Nix. Deshaun Goldson came on a blitz and kind of left Hakeem Nix one-on-one on the outside and just there was no help over the top and made the throw a little easier for Manning. But, yeah. man, Goldson got started really late on that blitz. Just a, I don't know if it was by design or if it was just a bad disguise or what but it was it was not his best rep of the day yeah it it was also a perfect throw that that like it was it was one of those i don't know if goldson would have gotten there in time i'm pretty probably would have or at least it would have changed manning's read for sure he might not have even taken that shot but it was a great throw by manning one of like like we said like he had a few probably five dimes in this game and that was definitely one of them this whole fourth quarter he's just doing eli manning stuff like he'll just kind of be okay the whole game, and then he'll have a play where he somehow escapes pressure and throws a dime to somebody. Uh, yeah. He was he was just really good as this game went along, and it just that's kind of the encapsulation of Eli Manning's entire career. Uh, yeah, the Niners, it felt like uh, it felt like the 49ers were going to blow him out because Hunter scored yeah. with 12 minutes left, and then the Giants just went right down the field and made it a one score game. Yep. And put a lot of pressure on the 49ers, but uh, the 49ers wound up holding up. Yeah, the Niners go Spoiler quick, alert. really quick three and out. And then uh, this Giants last drive was incredible <laughs> from them. Yeah. Patrick Willis comes up with two huge plays, one on a run stop. And then on third and seven, he drops Eli Manning at the line of scrimmage to bring up fourth down. Looked like the Giants were going to punt. So the Niners sent out their punt team, and then the Giants kept their offense on the field. Niners call a timeout. Giants end up going for it, and Manning hits Manningham for 18. Um, One thing I noticed during this drive was that Reggie Smith was getting a lot of burn, a lot of three safety looks. 
Yeah. Um, can we talk when, about care? Can we mention Jim Harbaugh's challenge on fourth and six for 18 yards? He challenged yeah, it and there yeah. was, there was, there was zero reason Nothing. to challenge. Like there was no evidence on any replay that signaled that the giants didn't complete the pass in Harbaugh challenge. Do you think that was one of those things where you challenge it and maybe there's something and they, you know, if they overturn it, the game's over. But worst case, you basically get a timeout and give your defense a breather. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, that's fair, but I just... It wasn't you know, a good like, challenge. It was a, it was an objectively bad challenge. From what if a, the Giants scored? I mean... Yeah, yeah, and the I, Niners I, need that timeout. Yeah. No, there, I, I, I get it. I, I'm, a, I'm of the belief, like, at this point, I know it's 2011. Um, you should probably be able to tell whether or not you should challenge like if you're well, an nfl coach yeah not, no, and not just I, throw I'm, it blindly because hey maybe you know i wasn't necessarily may, maybe this will work i wasn't necessarily defending the challenge as much as i was trying to find the logic in it right because uh there like you said there was zero angles where it even looked like it might have been incomplete put it this uh, way uh, jim harbaugh at this point didn't have the benefit of the doubt when it came to how we view his challenges because yeah. he had a lot of bad ones in 2011. Yeah. yeah, it almost like you get it's almost like he would get emotionally wrapped up and just go on tilt and throw a challenge <laughs> flag cuz he was mad. Correct. With 250 to go in the fourth, this is also on the Giants last drive. Mario Manningham beat Chris Culliver really bad. Yeah. Um and Manning just overthrew him by half a step. Yep. Uh, Manningham reached tried to make a catch. If he did, it's a touchdown that ties the game. Uh, but instead, uh, the Giants wind up with another fourth down, this time fourth and five. He hits Victor Cruz for an easy 10 yards. They get down into the red zone, the Giants do. And I mentioned this earlier, but as much as Justin Smith's batted down pass on fourth and two was big, the run stop on third and two was equally big because if he doesn't make that tackle, the Giants have first and goal at like the 10-yard line. Right with a couple timeouts to work with. Yeah. So the, the third down stop was, was as big as the fourth down one to me. I forgot how much, uh, Brandon Jacobs talk shit. Yeah. Yeah. Even he when he came to the talker. Niners. <laughs> yeah. Even when he came to the Niners and after he left, he had plenty yeah. to say about that too. But I had forgotten about Brandon Jacobs until I rewatched this game. I think everybody's kind of forgotten about Brandon Jacobs. And I think that's why he's Ooh. so mad all the time. Sick burn. Got him. The fourth down play was interesting, and, and Troy Aikman points this out, that even if Smith hadn't gotten his hand up to knock down the pass, there wasn't a lot doing uh, in the route because Jake Ballard and Victor Cruz were going to kind of both run. I think Cruz is going to run a little bit deeper in than Ballard was going to run, or Ballard was just going to go up the seam. It's tough to tell because Willis just ties him up immediately. But Ballard yeah. was going to clear out the middle for Victor Cruz and Cruz is going to have an easy six, but Patrick Willis ties up budding star, Jake Ballard's Ballard so bad that Cruz just kind of runs in behind him. And maybe the throw sneaks over Willis and Ballard, but I don't think it was going to. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of traffic there. Yeah. I um, really hey, well defended Jake by Willis. 
Do you you know why Joe Buck said Jake Ballard was a budding star? Why? Because he went to Ohio State. Oh, of course, the Ohio State. Undrafted free agent out of Ohio State. Him and I were there at the same time. I was like, this guy's familiar, and then I just looked it up. Did you ever interview him? No, I definitely would have remembered that. Hmm, okay. Um, so. Yeah. The guys I interviewed were like Cam Hayward, Roll. Um, I think I was in a Malcolm Jenkins scrum a few times. Look at this guy. You see this guy? Yeah, yeah sorry. Let Talking me just pick up these names I dropped. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, this guy. <laughs> so, fun game. Interesting game. We'll get into our categories a little bit later. Uh, game breaks had some fun ones. Do you want to take a break first before we get to the game breaks? Sure. We're half we're half hour in. Yeah, it's good. Uh, okay, we're gonna break and then we're gonna toss it out to Kurt Menefee for a game break. <laughs> there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events twenty four seven, or you can participate in a ten thousand dollar Madden bracket challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament. You can enter for free and live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel. You'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. All right, now let's talk about game breaks. Yeah, game breaks. The first one was John Skelton hitting early set for five yards to put the Cardinals up 21-17 on the Eagles. And then later on, we got a game break that Michael Vick had thrown an interception to seal the Eagles' loss. It was their fifth blown fourth quarter lead of the year, and they fell to 3-6. and six. That's the Dream Team Eagles. Tough scene. Really tough scene. There was another one later where the <laughs> the Falcons and Saints went to overtime in in their matchup, and the game break was the Falcons on a fourth and short in overtime, like like with a lot of ten plus minutes left in OT. The Falcons have a fourth and short from their own thirty, and they go for it. They don't get it, and the Saints a couple plays later kick a game winning field goal uh, against Atlanta. I was trying to decide the logic of going for it on fourth and short from your own 30 with a bunch of time left in OT, and I came up with nothing. Yeah, it's it's pretty tough. Um, Unless you have just no confidence run in Michael, your defense. If, if you're just going to run Michael Turner right up the middle, yeah. like I think you should try to be more creative than that if Matt Ryan's your quarterback. I think that Michael Turner is the most 2011 NFL player. Okay. Like, if you said name a non-49er from 2011, I think Michael Turner is the first name I would come up with. I think that's fair. Uh, st- another thing I want to kind of start doing is I've been paying attention to stat lines on the ticker throughout the game. I have a couple of bad ones. You have a good one. Tim Tebow's stat line in Denver's 17-10 win over the Chiefs. <laughs> Two for eight. Passing. He threw eight passes, completed two of them. Uh, had a nice day through the air. 69 yards, touchdown there. 43 rushing yards and a touchdown for him. And Denver outlasts the Chiefs 17-10. Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Ryan Fitzpatrick, 
in a 44-7 loss to the Cowboys for the Bills, Fitzpatrick goes 20 of 31 for 146 yards, a touchdown, and three picks. And then Chris Johnson, CJ2K, huge day for the Tennessee Titans. 140 rushing yards, four touchdowns, 44 receiving yards in a 30-3 win over the Panthers. Chris Johnson, good player. Yeah, he was, uh, I think this was the point where he was winning people fantasy leagues basically on his own. Yeah. Uh, um, I was trying to figure out who the who the Falcons coach was because we were talking about that fourth down decision, and I couldn't for the life of me Mike remember. Mike Smith? Mike Smith. Yeah. It makes all the sense in the world now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that guy stunk. Like the <laughs> the the coach that every year was on the hot seat, but they'd be just good enough. To, well, to the next not... year they'd go to the NFC title game. Yeah, and then they'd blow a seventeen nothing lead. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Um, he he was around for like two too many years. Chris uh, Johnson was not winning fantasy leagues uh, in two thousand eleven. That was. The previous three years, I just want oh. to point that out. Okay, yeah, I, I've, I've honestly, um, I, I have blocked out Chris Johnson's career history just from my memory. Sorry. He had thirty-eight touchdowns his first three seasons, including going for over a thousand yards in all three of those. He had four yeah. touchdowns in two thousand eleven, and just a uh, thousand forty-seven rushing yards. Did you say four touchdowns? So all four of his touchdowns came in this game. <laughs> he played all 16? Yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. He had four rushing touchdowns all in one game. How did this how did this turn into a Chris Johnson 2000, that's 2011 wild. episode? Uh because it's the old rush. So we're talking about <laughs> old rushing performances. Uh things I forgot happened aside from Chris Johnson's four touchdown game slash season. The Niners trying an onside kick or getting the onside kick after tying the game in the second quarter, it, you had this down, and it was something I immediately wrote down too. I had zero recollection of this. It was a really good kick. It was a perfect kick. They mentioned on the broadcast that David Akers was 8 for 18 on onside kicks in his career, which seems like a really high percentage. Yeah, that is. And that's probably, that. I mean, that's definitely before they changed the rule where you can only have a certain number of guys on that side of the field because yeah. before they implemented that rule you could have like 10 guys over there and right. that would make it easier to get the onside kick one of the guys that they blamed for the broadcast said uh was the reason they didn't get the onside was because of ramsey's barden who is a player i just forgot about but he is a cal poly san luis obispo uh star Shout out to the big sky. 6'6", 227. He was drafted in the third round. And, like, all that makes sense. Uh, He spent four years in the league, 394 yards, 29 catches. He never caught a touchdown. But, like, you'd think 6'6", 227, third round pick. And that all makes sense until you find out that Cal Poly San Luis Obispo runs a triple option. Mm. Um. And now you know why Ramses Barden didn't really do anything in the league because it turns out that he never had to do anything in college either. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my Ramses Barden take. Bear uh, Pasco and David Boss. The revenge the games. Yeah. Two former draft picks. Yes. Okay. Did Go you on. know? Did you Tell know me before more about I told these you? Two. Yeah. Did you know before I told you 
before we started recording this pod that did you remember where where and when David Boss was drafted? No, I, I had I had zero clue. He was the first pick in the second round in Alex Smith's draft. And then didn't become a full time starter until like years later and then left the Niners in free agency and became the Giants starting center. Yikes. But yeah, I I had totally forgotten David Boss was was the second round pick in the Alex Smith draft. Niners missed on that one. A, a rare, a pretty rare Scott McLuhan miss. He was pretty good in the early rounds. Um, Bear Pasco, 2009 six round pick, didn't make the team. Went on, latched on with the Giants um, that season, 2009. And the, Joe Buck said Bear Pasco was 283 pounds. At one point, and he just ran over Carlos Rogers on this one, or yeah. on this one on this one play, and it sort of got the Giants' sideline going. And um, two hundred, like, I can't imagine there being a two hundred and eighty pound tight end in today's NFL. Yeah, I don't know unless... what that would look like. That would be like Levine Toy Lolo plus twenty pounds, and Toy Lolo's massive. Yeah, man, I don't, I. I don't even know where you'd play that. Like he would just be, they'd tell him to put on a few pounds and play him at guard. He was appropriately named Bear. Yeah, his his actual name is McKenna, so oh. I would also go by Bear, which is my. <laughs> oh, what? Well, what's funny about that is that's what my folks call me and have called me since I was little. Bear uh, or McKenna. Bear, not McKenna. Okay. okay. Um, I actually have a bear tattoo because of it. So oh, nice. shout out to Bear Pasco, huge fan. He actually bears are my favorite league. animal. Same underrated murderers bears. <laughs> uh, the Bear Pasco was actually in the league until 2015, which is not a thing I would have guessed. Kern County, Kern County, California native, went to Fresno State. I think that if your name is Bear, you're required to go to somewhere in uh either fresno state or boise state or wyoming i think those are your only three college options for Fair. somebody named bear yeah how about colorado fine okay. acceptable all right you can go to colorado as named bear but you can't get drafted into the nfl fine that's the thing there good broadcast moments uh joe buck threw shade to jim harbaugh at the end of the game at the very end, Jim Harbaugh with the handshake, calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> it's just a couple weeks after Handshake Gate, which we talked about that game in a previous version of the Old Rush. Go check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, the fourth and sixth challenge. <laughs> we mentioned that it was weird, but Buck and Aikman didn't let it slide either. Yeah, Buck said that challenge was so odd. <laughs> and Aikman's like, there's nothing here at all to suggest that he didn't have the catch. <laughs> It's like when you have when you have broadcasters openly saying, like, I have no idea what the coach is thinking. Right. That's that's a sign that the coach is probably making a a bad decision because broadcasters are very diplomatic and they have relationships with these coaches. So they're not going to say anything too outlandish. Like they'll they'll just not say anything at all rather than call out a decision someone's making so for buck and aikman to be like uh i don't see any reason to do this it was like a, a funny moment in hindsight um brandon jacobs a couple of good things happen at halftime so pam oliver is doing her halftime report 
And she asked Jim Harbaugh how they could get Frank Gore going because he had zero yards at halftime. And Jim Harbaugh responded, the pass protection's been good. Alex is playing well. And that's just a very peak Jim Harbaugh response to asking how they're going to get the run game going. Yes. And then Brandon Jacobs, you mentioned, shit talker extraordinaire. He said they're scared. He told Pam Oliver that the Niners are scared. What which a is, weird thing. Which is something you can say, I guess. Like, what a weird... Another football team. And then, But then Buck was like, well, don't know why he'd say that. <laughs> yeah. like, no one's really been scared today. It's been a good game. Right. Just a weird, weird, like, weird thing I never, from Brandon Jacobs. I never watched Patrick Willis or Navarro Bowman or Justin Smith and thought, you know what? These guys would be better if they weren't scared. Right. There was never, yeah. that never like popped into my head. Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman fell just short of greatness because they were scaredy cats. <laughs> yeah, just a strange thing. My uh, column. <laughs> Steve Weatherford had a punt where it sounded good. Like he, it, it made a hard sound. And Buck, as the ball is soaring through the air, goes, and a good punt by Weatherford. It went 29 yards and they were kicking it like from their own goal line, <laughs> not quite their own goal line, but it, it wasn't like a 29 yard punt where it was like, Oh man, he pinned him inside the five and nah, he, he shanked it and it went out of bounds near midfield. Listen, we all have brain farts. I have brain farts all the time. Yeah. Buck early in the game foreshadowed that the Niners and giants could play each other in the postseason while looking at the NFC standings and how everybody's looking up at the Packers. But the Niners and Giants could be playing for home field advantage if they're going to meet in the playoffs and they wound up doing so in the NFC title game. So the Joe Buck, Jake Ballard is going to be a star thing. Joe Buck during the fourth quarter, Ballard made a catch and Joe Buck says, and I quote, Jake Ballard is becoming a star for this team. And in his defense, 2011 was was Ballard's second year. He's undrafted out of Ohio State. And after this game, he had 26 catches for 430 yards and three touchdowns. Through nine games, that's that's res- respectable for an undrafted second-year tight end. The issue is, over the final five games, Ballard caught 12 balls for 174 yards and a touchdown. That was the that was it for his production with the Giants that year. He wound up playing in New England the next year. Uh, he didn't play any games, and then he played for eight games in 2013 with Arizona. He caught seven balls for 75 yards and two touchdowns, and then his career was over. I think that Joe Buck jinxed Jake Ballard because he got hurt the next year and just was not able to uh, ever recover. So I believe that Jake Ballard's career trajectory was Joe Buck's fault. How do you think Joe Buck sleeps at night? I don't think he does. Knowing that this happened. I don't think he does. Okay. That's, I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Uh, turning point, was it the Kendall Hunter touchdown that made it 27-13 or the Rodgers interception that led to the touchdown? I feel like it has to be one of those two plays. Yeah, I mean, for me, the turning point is that four-play sequence. 
Um, <laughs> Vernon okay. Davis scores his hilarious touchdown. <laughs> um, the Giants get the ball back. They run for three yards. Manning's intercepted. The play later, the first snap, the 49ers, after the 49ers get the ball back, they score on Hunter's seven, uh, 17-yard touchdown. Um, and that makes it 27-13. And from there, you're thinking, well, given what we know about the 49ers' defense, um, they're going to win this game. Uh, it ended up being much closer than that, obviously. It came down to the final possession. But to me, s- separating, like the game was close throughout. And then all of a sudden, the 49ers jumped out to a 14 point lead. Um, that included that two point conversion, too. Um, to me, that just that sequence was a turning point. Okay. I'm going with the Rodgers interception because okay. for, for a lot of the reasons that you just kind of said, like when Rodgers gets that pick, with the Niners' defense being as good as it, good as it is, and that kind of putting them in field goal range, you figure, all right, they're gonna burn a few minutes off the clock, kick a field goal, and go up two scores, and up two scores with a few minutes left is is plenty for this defense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Rodgers interception. A play of the game, I've got either the Rodgers pick, the Vernon Davis touchdown, which I really want to pick because it's so funny. Or the Kendall Hunter touchdown to go up twenty-seven to thirteen, or uh, Justin Smith's batted down pass to to win the game. I think I'm going to go with Vernon Davis's touchdown because of the aesthetic of it and just how how yeah. graceful it was. I need that to live on in posterity for because this podcast. I, I had remembered the play, but I forgot that it happened in this game specifically. Um, and so now after doing this pod and how much we've talked about it, it's going to be the play I remember most, even though the one I should probably remember most was Justin Smith batting it down at the end. Yeah, this is when, when, you know, you talk about the Lions game, it's like, oh, that's handshake game. Uh, you talk about the, 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 the season opener in week one, that's the Ted Ginn game. This is the Justin Smith batted pass game for me. Yeah. So that's, that's the play I'm going with. Um, winners and losers. I hate to do this because he had hundred yards in the previous five games, but Frank Gore catches the L in this one. He had six carries for zero yards. Yeah. And the giants made it clear that they wanted to stop him. He was banged up. Um, not a good Frank Gore game, but ultimately the 49ers figured it out, which was, which was an interesting development because that, that to that point, it was like they really couldn't do anything offensively. And it wasn't like they had a crazy explosive game, but Alex Smith was just good enough. Um, and he had to be because Frank Gore didn't, didn't give them anything. Uh, winner Delaney Walker, he had a really nice game. He had six catches for 69 yards. And it just was like, because Walker went on to have a really good career with the Titans. He's a three-time pro bowler. He had a thousand yards in one of those years. Really effective player on both some good and some bad Titans teams. And it's games like this one where the the that potential surfaced. Yeah. And well I wanna let's let's put a pin in Delaney Walker. I wanna talk about him a little bit more. Okay. Um Yeah, we'll talk about Walker in a sec, because I have something I want to point out too. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead. 49ers corners, not a great game for them. It felt like for every 
I, I didn't, outside of the two interceptions by Carlos Rogers, one of which was horribly underthrown and the other one, Mario Manningham stopped running. It felt like they got beat a lot. Yeah, not a great Terrell Brown game, not a great Chris Culliver game. I think Chris Culliver was, like, when Chris Culliver was in the game, which was only happening in sub-packages, the Giants generally went his way. Yeah. And they had they had the advantage on Culliver with basically all three of their receivers. Um, that receiving core of the Giants was good, man. I forgot how good it was. Yeah, they were really Hakeem good. Team Knicks, Victor Cruz, um, and Mario Manningham in a contract year. And, hey, Manningham... Speaking of, had a nice game, uh, 77 yards and a touchdown, almost had the second touchdown like you mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, he was on the Niners the next season. Maybe they maybe they remember this game and they're like, oh, a, a pretty good number two receiver. We could use one of those. Yeah. And then they definitely. went out and signed him. I think that's probably right. Alex Smith is a winner for me because the Niners kind of put the game on his shoulders. Yep. And they said go throw us into a victory and he wasn't great but he wasn't terrible and he was good enough to get him the win so good on alex smith on a on a not great rushing day to to come through and and put the niners in a position to win the rare game where he averaged over eight yards per attempt yeah it didn't happen a lot no and then another guy who is the winner and maybe the mvp which we'll get into next but david Akers, man good game from him (laughs) Four made kicks and uh, and the onside kick. It's about yeah. it's about as much as you could ever ask for from a kicker. Um, they did win by seven points, not like three. So, but I mean, the Niners needed all of his kicks. Still. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, do we do we want to talk? Uh, do we want to talk to Laney Walker? Yeah, is is Acres the MVP? MVP. Um. I've also got Alex Smith, Carlos Rogers, and Delaney Walker now. Man. Justin Smith. I'm going to go Alex Smith. Kind of reluctantly. Like, I kind of want to say Rogers because he had two picks. But the fact that the Niners didn't get much from the running game at all and a literal zero from Frank Gore, the fact that they were able to get an efficient day from Alex Smith against a defense that played far better than its season stats would indicate. Um, I'm going with, with Smith. I, I think he was, uh, he was good. Good enough. The other, the other thing in this game too, was it was a lot of downfield throws. Yeah. It wasn't a lot of, it wasn't a lot of just kind of dump offs and check downs. Smith actually kind of stepped into some and let him rip. So you had a Braylon Edwards stop route. Uh, yes. He had a couple actually where he just kind of oh. jogged for 20 yards and then turned around. Turned and the ball around. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm I'm fine at that pick with Alex Smith. I think David Akers needs to get some honorable mention, though. Yeah. One thing before we get to Delaney Walker, Chris Canty's face mask was awesome. Giants defensive lineman. It was the face mask that had the bars spread like a quarter inch apart all the way across. Yeah. The all Menacing. the way kind of through the mouth and cheeks. Yeah, just really really cool looking face mask. Shout out to Chris Canty. So Delaney Walker. Yes. Let's get into it. How many games do you remember watching where you're like, damn, the number two tight end is probably their most dynamic offensive player? Because I think this was the the only game that I consciously remember thinking that. There were, so for me, a lot of the times it was like maybe a block he would throw where he would come from 
the other side of the field and make this great block and spring somebody. That was more when I noticed Delaney Walker. It was never really... I don't ever remember thinking like, oh man, this is a guy who needs to get eight to 10 targets a game. There was a play. I mean, he caught six of seven targets, 69 yards. Um, nice. But there was a play that he caught it over the middle. He stiff armed a linebacker and got a first down. And it was, it made me remember like this 2011 team was not a good team after the catch. Just like overall, we talk about Vernon, but even even Michael Crabtree, I don't think, I mean, he had some moments, but I don't think defenses were like, oh man, you, you got to avoid giving Michael Crabtree or allowing Michael Crabtree to get the ball in space because he's going to burn you. I, I just don't think he was that good after the catch that year. And like Braylon Edwards was, was a zero after the catch. Vernon Davis for a tight end should have been much better than he was at this point. Um, Delaney Walker was like the guy that you're like, oh, okay, he's he's a big, fast tight end who you can get the ball in space to, and like he could actually do some things and strain defenses in a way that some of these other guys can't. Um, and that's not to say that he's he was better than Vernon Davis, but just like in this game, it was like, man, Walker's Walker's having a much better game and is way more dynamic right now than Vernon. Yeah, that didn't happen a lot, though. In fact, I'm looking at his his career game logs right now. (laughs) Of his 50 highest yardage totals. 50? Yeah, so of his 50 highest yardage totals, uh, which just so happens to be uh, the number of times that he eclipsed 50 yards. So how many times of those 50 do you think he went 51 or more for the Niners. That's super confusing. Of those of his top 50 receiving games, how many were with the Niners? Uh 8. Yeah. That wow. It's 8. It's 8? <laughs> yeah. I totally just Hit guessed. It on the nose. That's awesome. <laughs> uh yeah, 8 8 times he went for more than 50 yards with the Niners and he did it 42 with the with the Titans on the yeah. back half of his career. Like the the somebody tweeted this at you the other day and you sent it to our to our group chat that we have where somebody basically said the Niners to the something to the effect of the Niners screwed themselves when they kept Vernon Davis and let Delaney Walker leave. And that's super easy to say in hindsight because their career trajectories after the 20 uh, Walker left after the Super Bowl. So after the 2012 season. So starting in 2013, their career trajectories went the opposite directions, Walkers and Davises. But it's so easy to say that now because with Tennessee, Walker made three Pro Bowls and had a 1,000-yard season and was this huge contributor for Tennessee while Vernon Davis got traded in 2015 and was never a super productive tight end again. But So... Yeah, so Vernon in 2013 had a really good season, 850 yards, 13 touchdowns. Um, And it looked like, all right, Walker was gone. uh, And this was different, too, because they had Colin Kaepernick, who could throw the ball deep. Um, But Vernon, it looked like, all right, the Niners probably made the right decision. But you're right. The next year in 2014, in 14 games, and 2014 was obviously a super weird year. It was Jim Harbaugh's last year when everything blew up. 
Fournette had 26 catches for 245 yards. Yeah. Two touchdowns. And then got traded midway through the uh, the next season when Jim Tom Sula was head coach. Um, but yeah, yeah he you're held right. out in there. What's that? Yeah, I think he held out before the 2015 season. Gosh, I don't even remember. A lot of stuff happened in the 2015 offseason. Yeah, it's just like... The 2015 so offseason deserves its own podcast. We can honest. do that. That sounds like fun. Since we're not going to do any games from that era, that's fine. <laughs> so what I don't... what I understand looking in hindsight, like, oh yeah, the Niners should have kept the tight end and went to three Pro Bowls. But in 2013... I personally, maybe I was in the I'm in the minority here, but I personally remember thinking it stinks to see Walker go because he's such an effective player for the Niners, but Vernon Davis is better. And yeah. I don't think if the Niners had foreseen Walker being the type of player who was going to be a three-time Pro Bowler, you know, they obviously would have would have gone about it differently, but like like I said, I mentioned those 50 games, eight of them were, were with, with the Niners. Walker's highest receiving total with the Niners was 85 yards, and that came in 2010. Right. I mean, he was not a super productive guy for the Niners in uh, 80 yards against St. Louis in 2010, 81 against New Orleans in 2012. This wasn't a guy who was just racking up these yards and, and all these catches. He had a drop problem with the Niners. Uh so I, I, I would be interested to see what happens with his career had he stayed in San Francisco. I don't think anything much different would have happened with the Niners. I think they were going to be bad whether he was with them or not. But I don't think there's. I don't think. I don't think it's fair to to turn around and say, "Wow, the Niners they blew that one." Everybody knew they should have kept Walker because that's just not. This is not the case. Right, and you would have had, I mean, so 2011, Vernon Davis makes the the catch against the Saints to win the game in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, 2012, not a great year, not a terrible year. Uh, obviously a really good player still. 2013, like I mentioned, 850 yards and 13 touchdowns. Um, it would have been really hard after 2012 to be like, all right, we got what we're gonna get from Vernon. Yeah, man. And we're gonna we're gonna go with Walker instead. But I can tell you um, with certainty that in hindsight, high ranking members of the 49ers organization questioned that decision to keep Vernon and and allow Walker to to sign with the, the Titans in free agency. You remember like 49ers had to pay a bunch of dues at this point. In 2012, right. they had to pay. Um, I forget exactly when all these contracts came down, but Anthony Davis got a contract. Navarro Bowman got a contract. Joe Staley was still getting his contracts. Um, they had to pay a bunch of dudes. Um, Ahmad Brooks got a nice contract. Um, I think Justin Smith got a nice contract at, at some point over this span too. Uh, they had to pay too many dudes, and they're and they decided to keep Vernon and it makes sense, but I think it is a really good point in hindsight, looking at it, like it would have taken a lot of foresight and it would have been extremely unpopular when it happened. Oh, for sure. But you could definitely make the case that, um, that Walker was, I mean, Walker was a better player after, um, I guess after the 2013 season. 
Um, but yeah, it is interesting. And and I Here's, think if he were on a different team where he could have had a chance to be the number one tight end earlier in his career, um, his career might have looked a hell of a lot different because he would have been the number one guy and he wouldn't have yielded so many targets to Vernon. Delaney Walker, I mentioned he had eight eight of his top 50 receiving games with the Niners in terms of yards. Delaney Walker has gotten eight or more targets in a game 37 times in his career. How many times do you think it happened with the Niners? Eight or more targets 37 times? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go five. Once. Once. Wow. And it was a 27-7 loss to Minnesota in 2007. <laughs> But he just didn't get used a lot as a receiver with the Niners, and that's the whole point. Like, it, 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 it obviously looks bad in hindsight considering what he did in Tennessee, and then what kind of happened with Vernon Davis's career going to Denver and then to Washington, and now he's retired while Delaney Walker is still trying to look for a job. So I, I fully understand it, but it was the right move at the time, and. Shout out to Delaney Walker for just putting together a really remarkable second half of his career. I wrote about it a couple years ago over at Niners Wire, but he spent seven seasons in San Francisco, and his last year there, he was his age 28 season, and he caught 123 balls for 1,465 yards and eight touchdowns uh, in 99 games with the Niners. In 84 games with Tennessee, he had 381 catches, over four, uh, over 4,400 yards, and 28 touchdowns. Like the putting together that kind of career through his 30s is incredible, and he was like a focal point, key part of a couple of Titans teams that went to the playoffs. He's been in the league for 14 years. Yeah, he's remarkable, man. Delaney Walker's had a really, really awesome career. Yeah. Shout out to Delaney Walker. A lot of Delaney Walker today, but I think it's warranted. Love it. I, it I is. think he's it's... an interesting player. And I think it's an indictment on the coaching staff, given the dearth of like good pass catchers that they have to not incorporate Walker um, from that standpoint more. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right for for what it's worth. The reason we're talking about Walker so much is he had 69 yards in this game. His his next highest yardage output for the season was 38 in week two. Wow. Yeah, he just they I I think he got pretty sorely underutilized. I think that's fair. And he had been in the league for a long time because at this point too, because he was drafted the same year as Vernon in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. I just say they is a just kind of a move tight end and they had an athletic freak in Vernon Davis, and so they fed him. I feel like I've been hard on Vernon. He's had a really nice career. He retired this offseason. Um, a really good career. This is not really, trying to really like good career. Not two Vernon. 13 touchdown seasons. I think the list of tight ends that have done that is very, very short. It's probably him and Gronk off the top of my head. Maybe Tony I'm gonna Gonzalez. L- I'm going to look it up before the end of this podcast. Okay. Well, we, we should be wrapping this thing up pretty soon because we're at the hour eight minute mark it's fine it doesn't take me very long to do it all right um yeah vernon had a nice career not the most physical tight end probably could have been better after the catch but uh still a really good player you the forget- fact the fact that he put together 
the career he did with his playing style is a tribute to just how insane of an athlete he was. Yeah. So freak I, athlete. I don't want to. I, I I don't want to like drag Vernon Davis. Like he was. No. He had, like you said, a really freaking good career, and he was a really important player on some really good Niners teams. Nine hundred. Really good blocker too. Yeah, underrated blocker for sure. Nine hundred sixty-five yards in two thousand nine. Um. And 13 touchdowns, 850 yards in 2013 and 13 touchdowns. He had 914 yards 2010, 792 in all right, 2011. I've got, all right, I've got the list of tight ends with 13 touchdowns or more in a season. Okay. Antonio Gates is the first one to do it in 2004. Vernon Davis was the second to do it in 2009. Gronk did it in 2011. Davis and Jimmy Graham both did it in 2013. Tyler Eifert in 2015 and Eric Ebron in 2018. So was Vernon the only guy? Because my my initial thought was, how many tight ends have had multiple seasons with 13 touchdowns? Is he the only one with multiple? Yes. Wow, good for Vernon. Yeah, really freaking good player. Yeah. And they happened four years apart, which is pretty incredible too. Yeah, with different quarterbacks. Yep. All right. Um, Tight end and different pod. head coaches, actually. It's actually good we're talking tight ends because we talked about the Niners' 2020 tight end depth chart on our podcast earlier this week. So make sure to check that out if you did not subscribe, rate, and review to the Candlestick Chronicles. Um, you don't review to the Candlestick Chronicles, but you get what I'm saying. Our next old rush will be week 15 against the Steelers that was the lights go out on Monday night football game we're actually going to have a special guest for that Neil Kulong who is my boss over at USA Today a sports media group he's a former Steelers writer and he's going to jump on and, and chat with us about that game so that should be fun we'll also have our depth chart dive early in the week so make sure to look out for that uh, thanks everybody for listening uh, for Chris Biederman I'm Kyle Madsen see you